No, 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 no. That's ridiculous. You're stupid. No. Amen. Thank you. Sit down. Stop it. I love you guys so much. I didn't even know how much till the start of first service today. It just, it just hit me out of the blue. All of a sudden, I couldn't talk, but people were very thankful for that for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> well, now that you sat down, let's stand up again and have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you, Father. Whoops. Test one, two. Test one, two. Hello, test one, two. I said test one. There it is. <laughs> Father in heaven, how we love these times together with you in this place. Just to draw near to you, Lord. The nearness of our God is our greatest good, Lord. We can't get enough of you. We just can't get enough of your love your peace that calms our minds and hearts no matter what we're going through, no matter what's going on in the world. The joy that we feel regardless of what's going on in our lives. Lord, to just come and contemplate and reflect upon who you are just encourages our hearts and lifts our spirits, Lord to just think about your power, your glory, your majesty, Lord Jesus. Your holiness. Oh, Lord, your faithfulness. Looking back, Lord, it's all I can see. Your goodness to us, Lord, until... Lord, you're not done blessing your people until our cups overflow and we can't contain anymore your promises, the glorious future that is ours. Though the world is dark and evil, full of chaos, our future is so beautiful and so bright because of you. And, and now it's Christmas, Lord. Oh, how we love the Christmas celebration. Just celebrating your birth, Lord, because you came for us to seek and to save that which was lost. And we were so lost, Lord, in our pride and selfishness, greed, lust. We thank you for your birth. We thank you that you came for us, that we might have life rich, full, abundant, and eternal. And all we really want in this service, Lord, is to be filled up, be filled up anew and afresh with your spirit. Lord, would you help your people to know the depths of your love for them? The height, the length, the breadth, the width, and the depths of your great love for your people. That we might be filled up today to all the fullness of God. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's remain standing for opening song. We turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, looking at verses 11 through 16. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking truth in love. We are to grow up in all aspects 
into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. God's primary purpose and plan for all of mankind is reconciliation. That's his primary purpose. Man is separated from God by sin. And God sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, to make payment for our sins so we could be forgiven. So nothing would ever have to separate us from God in this life and in the life to come. That's God's primary purpose purpose and plan for humanity. It's his plan of salvation. But once we become believers, we've repented of our sin, we've put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we've received forgiveness, we've already received the free gift of eternal life, we know we're going to be with him in heaven. So what is God's primary purpose then? What is God's purpose and plan for our lives now? Number one goal that we should all be seeking to attain, and that is simply growth. Keep learning and keep growing because God's plan is to conform us into the image of Christ. From the foundation of the world, we've been predestined for that purpose, so we're learning and we're growing. We're becoming more and more like Jesus, more and more capable of walking in his love, walking in his holiness, more and more capable of being used by God to uh, really make a difference in the world. And that's why I chose this passage of Scripture for uh, my final message. God's purpose and plan for our lives, just keep learning and keep growing. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Become partakers of the divine nature. Just become more and more like him all the time. And he tells us the formula for that, to accomplish that goal. Speaking truth in love. We grow up. So we grow up spiritually in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ. And we talked about truth last week. So this week we'll finish up talking about love. What better topic could we have for our final time together than just talk about the love of God? Maybe some of you are old enough to remember the old Burt Bacharach song, What the World Needs Now is Love, Sweet Love. That's the only thing there's just too little love. And it's true, That's, it sold tens of millions of records because everybody believed that. It resonated in every heart. Yeah, that's true, that's what the world needs. Less pride, less selfishness, less greed, less lust, you know, just more love. But knowing that we need love is not enough if we don't know what love is. Uh, it didn't work out so well for Burt Bacharach. Uh, he... You know, his marriage to beauty queen and movie star Angie Dickinson ended in divorce. By the end of his life, he'd been married and divorced four times. Recognizing the need for love isn't enough. If we don't know what love is, we're deceived. We might think we're very loving people when we're not. We're not enjoying the blessing of God because we're not the loving people that we think we are because we don't even really know what love is. Um, Maybe some of you are old enough to remember the hit movie in 1970, Love Story, Ryan O'Neill, Ally McGraw. Remember the most famous line that came out of that movie? Definition of love. You know what love means? Love means never having to say you're sorry. <laughs> Is that not the dumbest definition of love you've ever heard? The world doesn't have a clue. We need love, but the world doesn't have a clue. Well, I think love means never having to say you're sorry. Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> Part of the problem is we only have one word in the English language for love. So I talk about how much I love Hawaiian burgers at Islands. You know, the teriyaki and pineapple hamburger. I love that hamburger. And then I talk about how much I love my wife. So I just put my wife in the same category with hamburgers. 
and talk about how much I love mint chocolate chip ice cream. Then I talk about how much I love the Lord. And I put the Lord in the same category with ice cream. We really struggle in knowing what love is because they're all different types of love and we only have one word for love. In the, English lang- or in the Greek language, there are four words for love. Uh, storge is a word for affection. It's kind of love you have for your pet animals, your little dog Fido or your little kitten Snowball or whatever. Storge love. Then there's eros love, that's romantic love. Um, falling in love, sensuality. We use the term love making. When a Greek man falls in love, he says, I eros you. That's romantic love. Then there's phileo, which means friendship love or brotherly love, and it's a beautiful love. It's a, it's a reciprocal love. You do nice things for me, I do nice things for you. You're loyal to me, I'm loyal to you. We're, we're friends. It's brotherly love, Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. But then there's a fourth word for love, agape. And it's a very unique kind of love, and it's the, it's the kind of love that's attributed to God. 1 John 4, 16, God is love, God is agape. It's a love that is uniquely giving and sacrificial without wanting or needing or desiring anything in return. Love just gives and gives without wanting anything in return. It's willing to give anything and everything. It's sacrificial. It's willing to sacrifice anything and everything. God is agape love, and he demonstrated his love and the sacrifice of his beloved son. Jesus demonstrated his great love for you and me in the sacrifice of his life. So we recognize the need for love. We just need to know what love is. If we can get a clear definition of love, then we can just measure ourselves according to that definition to to find out if we really are loving people or not. Well, fortunately, God has given us that definition. He gave it to us in what we call the love chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So we're going to start with verse 4. We'll put it up on the big screen. It begins by saying that love is patient. So if I'm not being patient with my children, I don't love them. Shocking, isn't it? What do you mean I don't love my children? I have deep feelings and emotions for my children. I would give anything. I would do anything. I would die for my children. You don't love your children until you're patient with your children. And as long as you're always flying off the handle with your children, you don't have the right to say that you love them. It's just an indication that you don't even know what love is. Secondly, love is kind. There's a way to express ourselves that's kind when we're upset, frustrated, and there's a way to express ourselves that's not so kind, that's harsh and mean-spirited when we're a little upset or a little frustrated. And what God showed me in the beginning of my marriage is I don't have the right to say that I love my wife if I'm going to be a little harsh or mean-spirited in the way that I say something to her. And when I find her in the bathroom crying, I understand it's not what I said, it's the way I said it. And, and we can have disagreements with one another, but if we express our view in a way that's kind, then we can work through it. If not, we can wound one another deeply in each other's hearts, and we can crush each other's spirit. And when I saw my wife crying, I knew I had to change. Brad, you don't love your wife. How dare you say I don't love my wife? I have deep, deep feelings and emotions for my wife. Feelings and emotions are a very, very small part of love and not the most important part of love. And I came to understand when I am a little bit frustrated and I choose to express myself in a way that is kind, then and only then do I have the right to say I love my wife. Love is not jealous. I used to think jealousy was the proof of love. 
<laughs> when I was young, Janice and I were dating, came over to her house, and her old boyfriend was there, car parked out in front of her house, and I was, kind of went into a little bit of a rage, <laughs> jealous rage. We ended up getting in a big fight out in the front yard. And you know what my thinking was? Well, if this doesn't prove how much I love her, you know, nothing will. And then a couple years later, I give my life to the Lord, and I'm reading through the Bible, and I come to God's definition of love in 1 Corinthians 13, and I just hang my head in shame and humiliation. What an idiot. I didn't prove my love. I proved how selfish and childish and immature I am. came to know what real love is, and I realized real love would have said, you know what? If he's really, really good to you and he makes you happier than I can and you love him more than you love me, then you should be with him. It's a giving, sacrificial love. It is not jealous. If you are in a relationship, you're not married yet, but you're in a relationship and there's jealousy in that relationship, run for the hills, get out as quick as you can. You're in for pain and heartache. Some of the most heinous crimes and violent acts are committed out of what? Out of jealousy. Wrath is fierce and anger is a flood, but who can stand before jealousy? Yeah, but doesn't the Bible say our God is a jealous God? Yes, but God's jealousy is much different from man's jealousy, just like God's anger is different from man's anger. The anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. I get angry because I'm so prideful, I'm easily offended. I get angry because I'm so selfish, I'm not getting what I want, I'm not getting my way right here. That's why I'm angry. It's not why God gets angry. God is angry when he sees people doing such evil things that they're hurting, causing harm, pain, brokenness, devastation to other people. And we could use a little bit more of that righteous anger. It's the same with jealousy. God is jealous over us when we leave him, not for his sake, but for our sake. It's 100% concern for our welfare because when we don't want to live for him anymore, it's because we want to live for something else. But he knows what that is. It's a false god. It's idolatry. And we'll be serving another master, and we're going to find out in time that master is cruel and enjoys beating us up and enjoys inflicting pain upon us. It's like a woman who leaves her husband. He's, he's a good husband. He's good to her. But some guy comes along and he sweeps her off her feet. He's just so charming and he seduces her and he run, she runs off with him. And then in a short time, she realizes he's not the person she thought he was. And he's abusive and she gets beaten either emotionally or physically, continually. That's what God knows is going to happen to us if we leave him. He's jealous over us with a godly jealousy. The apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 said, I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. Because I betrothed you to one husband, that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. And it is spiritual adultery, it is spiritual fornication, but his jealousy isn't based on his selfish sin nature. He has a completely unselfish divine nature. He's jealous over us because he, he loves us so much and he only wants the best for us. Our jealousy, it's rooted in the sin nature and it's evil and it does evil and it causes pain. Love is not jealous. Love does not brag. It is not arrogant. People who want to talk about themselves all the time, they're very uncomfortable when the conversation shifts to some other topic besides them. They're very agitated until they get the conversation back where it belongs on something about them, what they've done, what they're going through, what they've accomplished, what their plans are. Let another praise you and not your own mouth a stranger and not your own lips. Remember the Chinese proverb, he who toots own horn plays sour note. <laughs> <laughs> Love is uncomfortable when the topic is self. 
Love is uncomfortable when the conversation is about self because love is interested in everyone else. Love wants to know what's going on in everyone else's life. What are are you dealing with? What are you going through? What are you struggling with? What are you happy about? What are your uh, accomplishments? What are you praising God for? So we can weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. So braggadocious, arrogant person, if they think they're a loving person because they have deep feelings and emotions for friends and family, they're deceived. Love does not brag and it's not arrogant. Paul uses the word puffed up numerous times here in 1 Corinthians. You don't want an arrogant, prideful person on your committee because every time their suggestion is rejected, they're so humiliated because of their pride, they're upset, and then there's strife and, and division. And there's the arrogant, prideful guy driving on the freeway who gets cut off. <laughs> he can't let that go. He's too prideful. He starts off with the international sign for contempt. <laughs> and, then, and then he chases him down to try to pull him over. And if he does, it doesn't end well. Somebody gets hurt. Maybe somebody has a gun. Maybe somebody gets killed over because a guy changed lanes in front of you. It's such an evil, evil thing. Pride, arrogance causes pain and, and, and suffering. Remember Ahithophel, the counselor to the kings in Israel? He was considered the wisest man in all of Israel. He counseled the kings. The saying in those days was, listening to the voice of Ahithophel is like listening to the voice of God. So what happened when Absalom rejected his advice and accepted the counsel of Hushai? His pride was so great, he was so humiliated, he went out and hung himself. That's a lot of pride. And it's evil and it causes pain to others or to self, and those who are walking in arrogance and pride may think they're loving people, but they're deceiving themselves. They need to learn what love is. It doesn't brag and it's not arrogant. Verse five, love does not act unbecomingly. And that's a term that we use with regard to styles and fashions. Some styles look really good on you. That's very becoming. Some styles don't look good on you. It's very unbecoming. And as Christians, there are certain attitudes that don't look good on us, very unbecoming of a Christian. Sometimes, you know, we get into an <laughs> argument with somebody in public, and there we are yelling and screaming, maybe cussing. As a Christian, it doesn't look good on you. It's unbecoming. When you dishonor the Lord, the one you say you love, and you drag his name through the mud. Love doesn't act unbecomingly. If you see professing believers doing disgraceful things that dishonor the Lord, they're deceiving themselves if they think they're loving people, walking in love. They don't know what love is. Love does not seek its own. So we know that love is not selfish, it's not self-centered. Love would never put its own pleasures and enjoyment and wants and desires first before the wants and desires that which pleases those they say they love. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit with humility. Humility of love is born out of humility. With humility of mind, let us regard one another as more important than himself. Look what selfish parents do to their children because they're selfish with their free time. Everybody works hard, and everybody has duties and responsibilities, so there's precious little free time, right? Use it selfishly. So whenever you get a little free time, parents are out doing what's fun and enjoyable to them, get babysitters, the kids are feeling more and more neglected, and feeling what? Unloved, because they are unloved. What do you mean? I tell me I don't love my children. I love them very deeply. I have deep feelings for my children. I would die for my children. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're deceived. You don't know what love is. If you did, if you had God's love, agape love in your heart, 
You wouldn't be so selfish in the use of your free time. You would be concerned about what's fun for my kids. What would they enjoy? What would bless them? that they might know how precious they are and how much they are loved. And, and husbands do the same thing. We do the same thing to our wives. When we are selfish with our free time, there's very little of it, so we've got to selfishly take advantage of it to do the things we like to do, completely ignoring our wives and what they might like to do, what they might enjoy doing. They feel more and more neglected and abandoned, more and more unloved which they are, the relationship falls apart. Why? Because you don't love your wife. What do you mean I don't love my wife? I have deep feelings for my wife. I would do anything for it. No, you wouldn't. When you put what's fun for her, enjoyable for her, pleases her, makes her happy first before yourself, then you have the right to say you love your wife. Love is not provoked. Oh, my goodness. Hang my head in shame when I read that part of the definition. Love is not provoked. I either have to start yelling and scream, stop yelling and screaming at my children or admit I don't love them. That eye-opening. One of the two, it's, you can't have, both, can't have it both ways. You can be firm with them when you need to and stay calm. You can even discipline them if you need to and stay calm calm. I either need to stop yelling and screaming at my children or admit I don't love them. Spouses need to stop yelling and screaming at each other or just be honest and admit you don't love each other. This is the part of the definition where we get on our hands and knees and we say, God, I've been so wrong. I've been so deceived. Forgive me and change me. Love does not take into account a wrong suffered. It's one of the reasons why so many relationships aren't working or have already broken up. And they're so confused. I don't understand why, why it didn't work. We couldn't make it work. And we, and we love each other so much. No, you don't. Because in the course of time in a relationship, things are said and done that are hurtful. And we have to forgive. But what happens is we think we've forgiven. We deceive ourselves into thinking that we have when we haven't. And we know that we haven't because we don't treat them the way they used to before they did or said that hurtful thing. We can't deceive ourselves into thinking we've forgiven when we haven't. Yes, I forgive. I've forgiven him. I will never speak to him again. I never want anything to do with him again. What? I mean, does God forgive me that way? Brad, I forgive you for everything, but I'll never speak to you again, and I don't want anything to do with you. I need to forgive the way God does. And we know that we have when we can treat the people that hurt us as if they never did, the way we used to before that ever happened. But as long as we're going to hold a grudge, as long as there's that root of bitterness, it's going to cause trouble, and by it, many are going to be defiled. We can't have God's blessing on our lives and on our relationships until we are walking in love. And love does not take into account a wrong suffered. And finally, verse 6. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in truth. A man with God's love in his heart cannot sit in a bar, in a strip club, watching women dance and take their clothes off and be joking and laughing and having a rip-roaring great old time. When a man has the love of Jesus in his heart, he looks at women differently, not as a sex object for his gratification, but as a precious daughter of a king who is a princess. The one with God's love in his heart sees what she's doing and he is grieved. Just as the heart of her heavenly father is grieved because of the way that she is degrading herself. Like a gold ring in a wine snout, so is a beautiful woman who lacks discretion. And it's, there should be a sadness, not, not celebrating. Love doesn't rejoice in righteousness, 
the one with God's love in his heart, isn't going to sit in a movie theater with a bunch of people watching an R-rated comedy, one vulgarity after another, one sexual innuendo after another, one nude scene after another, and be joking and laughing and enjoying and having a rip-roaring good time. And those who are capable of doing that, they may be professing believers, but they're deceiving themselves if they say they have God's love in their heart. And when someone's being picked on and made fun of and people are standing around laughing, no one with God's love in their heart could possibly ever enjoy something like that. And so we have the two Siamese twins of the New Testament back together again, truth and love. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in truth. And so, what I want most to leave this congregation with is not even so much one last message, but one last word, and that word is love. Not just the importance of love, we all know that, but knowing what love is. I don't have to hand out 10 pages of rules, laws, and commandments for everyone to memorize and try to live by every day. Just one word. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. He who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. If there's any other commandment, it is fulfilled. In this one saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. Just remember one word. Knowing what love is, walk in love. You'll never break a commandment of God in an act of love. And you'll never hurt another human being in an act of love. Okay, so how do I know if I'm walking in love? It's easy. Insert your name in this passage of Scripture where you see the word love. See if it fits. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tough one. Brad is patient. Brad is kind. Brad does not Brad is not jealous. Brad does not brag. Brad is not arrogant. Brad doesn't act unbecomingly. Brad doesn't seek his own. Brad is not provoked. Brad doesn't take into account a wrong suffered. Brad never rejoices in unrighteousness, but rejoices in truth. Now, a word of encouragement. None of our names will ever fit perfectly in this passage, this side of heaven. But what's the goal? What's God's purpose for our lives? Growth. Continually growing more and more Christ-like, more and more like Jesus. So here's the goal. The goal is, next year at this time, your name will fit better in this passage than it does today. Hopefully it fits better today than it did last year. But the goal is to grow. Come to maturity as a believer, to the measure of the stature that belongs to the fullness of Christ. How are we going to do that? Speaking truth in love, we're going to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for shining the light of truth so that we can see the issues of life clearly. And we don't have to be deceived into thinking we're such loving people when we're not. Showing us how, Lord, through the work of your Spirit in our lives, we can grow and mature. We can be loving people. We can have lives that are so beautifully, richly, wondrously blessed. We can become beautiful people with beautiful lives, so beautiful that people will admire us and respect us 
and be drawn to you because of us, Lord. So as we learn more about what real love is, Lord, would you make us more and more like you, Lord? We want, we want the world to look at us and see you. As we come to the communion service, Lord, it's a wonderful celebration of love. We're celebrating your perfect love because, Jesus, your name fits in this passage perfectly. And in this communion service, we are celebrating your perfect divine love for us, which you demonstrated on the cross by sacrificing everything for us. <clears throat> but before the celebration, we know comes confession. Just coming before you this morning, Lord, with that humble confession of those areas in which we are falling short and missing the mark. True remorse, godly sorrow. Knowing that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So as we confess these things, Lord, just lift the burden of sin and guilt and shame and that our hearts might rejoice in you. This communion service might be a beautiful celebration of all that you are and all that you've done. Let's worship the Lord. For Christ, you haven't made your commitment to Christ. I'll give you that opportunity right now. He loves you. His number one purpose and plan for your life now be reconciled. He loves you. He doesn't want to be separated from you. In this life and especially throughout all eternity, that's why he sent his son. He sacrificed his beloved son for you. You don't have to be separated from God. Just come to the Lord with remorse in your heart about your sins, ready to start learning how to do things God's way. Then you can receive Christ who paid for your sins for you, took your place in judgment and punishment so that you could be forgiven. You could receive his forgiveness, receive the free gift of eternal life. If that's the desire of your heart, just pray this prayer with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I have sinned. I have fallen short of your righteousness. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me. Thank you, Jesus, for suffering and dying for me. I believe in you. I receive you now as my Lord, as my Savior. Come into my heart. Wash me and cleanse me from all sin. I receive your forgiveness. I receive the free gift of eternal life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Fill me with your love that I might live for you in Jesus' name. Amen. So he said, I stand at the door of your heart and knock. If you hear me knocking and open the door and invite me in, I'll come in. You heard him knocking on the door of your heart today and you decided to open the door and invite him in when you prayed that prayer. And so, according to his promise, Christ dwells in you. Your sins are paid for and forgiven. You're no longer separated from God for time and for eternity. Lord Jesus, it's hard to imagine the love that you have for us that you demonstrated on the cross of Calvary. We are so amazed and overwhelmed that you would endure that for us so that we would never have to. And we just want to thank you for the assurance that we have in our heart that we are with you and that you are with us and you'll never leave us or forsake us and we will be with you forever. Just come now, Lord, as your people confess their sins. Lift that burden of guilt. Your people can leave this place rejoicing in what you've done for them. And Lord, we know you didn't just die to save us from the eternal consequences of sin, 
but also the temporal consequences of sin. And you bore our sicknesses and you carried away our afflictions. So by the power of your blood, by the power of your broken body, would you release the Holy Spirit now in this place for healing, physical healing, emotional healing, Lord. That the pain, the pain would be gone now in the name of Jesus. That you would grant deliverances in this place, Lord. Chains would be broken, Lord. Deliver your people from every form of bondage, every addiction. And let all oppression go in the name of Jesus, Lord. Set your people free to worship you in the Spirit and to walk with you in the Spirit like never before. In Jesus' name. Let's partake. Pray that coming back to the cross today through the communion service will remind you of the depths of his love for you and you'll just leave this place today wanting more than ever before to express your love back to him just by who you are and by the way that you live your life. And one of the really nice things about when COVID is finally over we won't have to be dealing with these communion packets anymore. They're driving me nuts. <laughs> There's a passage in 2 Kings chapter 2 where the prophet Elisha is following Elijah around everywhere he goes because he knows Elijah will be departing soon. And finally they come to a point where Elisha says to him, I have a request. Would you ask the Lord to give me double the portion of the Holy Spirit that he's put on you? And Elijah was really taken back by that. He didn't know how to answer that because God had done some amazing miracles through Elijah. So I don't even know if he thought that was even possible. But he said, I'll tell you what, if you see me when I depart, that'll be your sign you have your request. If you don't see me when I depart, well then, sorry, it's not going to happen. He saw Elijah depart. Remember the story? It's actually a picture illustration in the Old Testament of what's gonna to happen to New Testament believers. Elijah didn't die. He was just caught up to be with the Lord in a chariot of fire. One day, there's a whole generation of believers that aren't gonna die physically. We're just gonna be caught up to be with the Lord. But the point is, he saw him go, and he knew God had granted that request. So what I wanna do right now is I wanna bring Pastor Eric up here and ask God to put whatever measure of spirit he put on me to do this ministry, and he will put that double on Pastor Eric. Okay, will you pray with me for that? <laughs> Father, thank you for this man who has truly become one of the best friends I've ever had and truly a brother. Thank you for that day in the resurrection house when you spoke a word to him that you were going to be calling him into ministry and no one could believe it. And you've been teaching him and training him and equipping him and preparing him for such a time as this. And so, Lord, we do ask our request today as a congregation of believers, Lord, whatever measure of the Holy Spirit you have given to me, would you give double to Eric? So that if, if people were coming here and hurting and were, are, were being comforted through this ministry, it will be even more so now. 
If people who are down and discouraged were being lifted up, leaving this place, filled with the Spirit, rejoicing in you, that it will be even more so. Lord, that even more people who come to this place enslaved to sin will be delivered and set free. Even more people who have wandered off will come back. Even more prodigals will come home under this man's ministry. Use him in such a powerful way, Lord, to bring people to that place of decision, commitment, rededication. And most of all, Lord, we pray that there will be such a powerful anointing the gift of evangelism, Lord. We pray that more people than ever before will come to this place and be broken. More people than ever before, Lord, will be weeping over their sin, coming to know your love and giving their lives to you and being saved, Lord. A greater harvest of souls through this ministry than ever before, Lord. Do bigger, better, greater things, Lord. We know how you love to do exceeding abundantly beyond all we can ask or think, Lord. Do that. Pastor Eric, the staff, and everyone who serves in this place, Lord. Let your people see the work of the Holy Spirit like never before. Let people see your glory like never before, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, what is God going to prove to you? He's going to prove to you that if you got blessed or ministered to in this ministry, it had nothing to do with Brad Young, nothing at all. It had only to do with Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit, right? So nothing's going to change because he's not leaving. <laughs> and what are you going to prove to God? You're going to prove to God that you never were coming here for a man. You were coming here for Jesus, and he's still here. So nothing's going to change, right? Except it's going to get better. I am leaving with such a good feeling in my heart about this church. I'm leaving with a huge smile on my face because I see the ministry team that he has assembled and it's unbelievable. The hearts of the people who serve in ministry here, there is more love and unity and peace in this staff, in this congregation now than there has been in a long, long time. People just love each other and really, really enjoy each other, enjoy working together and really support each other. So um, it's very clear that the team that God has assembled means that he has wonderful and exciting plans for this church. God loves Janice and I, and that means he has wonderful plans for us, right? But he's no respecter of persons. He doesn't show partiality. He loves you guys every bit as much, which means he has equally wonderful plans for you and for this church. I'm excited. I'm so excited to keep in touch and hear all the praise reports, exciting things God, God is doing. I mean, it's not what he's going to do. It's already happening. I mean, you know, the high school ministry under Dane Nelson, already seeing revival, the young adults ministry under Brandon Wright and the Wright family is blowing up. God is just doing great things already. Junior high under Tyler is taken off and oh my goodness, the children's ministry, David and Daphne Wardrop, they're telling me that they're seeing new families with children coming every week and, and we're still in the middle of, middle of COVID. Wait till that's over. And, and, oh my goodness, the sweet spirit of the Lord during worship with Amariah as our worship leader. It's, it, it's what I used to feel in the 70s in worship in Costa Mesa. There, there's different ways in which the Lord manifests his presence. My personal favorite is that peace, that overwhelming peace. 
peace. Like, you don't have a care in the world. Isn't that why people get high and do drugs? You know? I mean, we just come here and get high on the Lord, and we just... And we just this amazing... Because it's the presence of the Lord, because He is Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace, and I just don't... I just want to... I don't want it to end. So, I'm leaving with such a good feeling in my heart about this church and an excitement. I know change is hard, right? Change is always hard. I don't know. We just have a tendency to resist change. Especially if we found something we like and we find something we're comfortable with. We don't want it to change. I like it. I'm comfortable with it. And we always have the fear that if there's change, that it's going to be for the worse and not for the better. So let me just remind you If the change is from God, it's always, always, always for the better. Never, never, ever for the worse. It's always for the better. He loves to do exceeding abundantly beyond what all we can ask or think. So whatever you've been asking for, expect God to do exceeding abundantly beyond that. He is so good. He just wants us to taste and see that he is good. Experience the goodness of the Lord. The world will be dead to you after that. You experience the good th- goodness of the Lord, this corrupt, perverse world will never have anything to offer you again that can even compare. So, yeah, this is, this is a big change, and it's going to be hard for us because... <laughs> I felt that it hit me at the beginning of first service. I am going to miss you guys so much. We love you guys so much. And that part of it is going to be hard. But we're not going to focus on that. We're going to focus on the joy and excitement of anticipating all the wonderful things God has planned for us. Amen? Let's stand.